And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Thursday as we get ready to wrap up this week. And uh, wow, what a week it's been already, right? It's the whole... Uh, Omicron or Omicron or Omnicron, as uh, President Biden says, pick your name, pick your name, pick, pick how you like to pronounce it. <laughs> it's a variant. Well, it showed up in California. And of course, uh, this, you know, elicited more concerns to the markets. Markets sold off. So we're going to talk about that a bit this morning. Also, you know, kind of how to position now. You know, we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks heading up to Thanksgiving. We were talking about taking some profits, raising some cash, kind of rebalancing risk, reducing risk, because there were some some technical indicators that were talking about the weakness in the markets. And we had posted these a few times. And then also we talked about seasonality, that in the first two weeks of December, there's typically weakness in the markets um, as mutual funds go through distributions and those type of things. And again, when you already had a very weak market and, and we had talked about some of the internal breadth was very weak, the number of stocks above their 50-day moving average have been declining even though the market was going up. Same thing for the stocks above their 200-day moving average. Well, that internal weakness and you know has provided that, that fuel, right? It just needed a catalyst, right? We needed a reason uh, to justify the selling, so to speak. And again, the selling was going to occur regardless because, again, as mutual funds have to make distributions, that's you know going to cause some pressure on markets. And that typically happens in the first couple of weeks of every year. If you look back over you know average performance for the month of December, uh, going back to the 1950s. So you know, it was there. So, but what we need as humans, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, is that we need to assign a reason for things, right? We need to, we have to have a reason for something to happen. And so that reason has popped out to be the Omicron virus. And again, if you listen and, and read what the doctor in South Africa wrote when she first discovered this variant in South Africa. She says, there's nothing to really be worried about here. It's no reason to panic. And, you know, they were discussing some of our comments yesterday at length. And, you know, of course, the markets kind of knee-jerk react to every variant that comes along. But again, this is just the headline, right? This is the reason that we assign to the sell-off. It really has nothing to do with the sell-off. And, and what I mean by that is, is you know, nobody was sitting around over the last couple of days going, oh, my gosh, the Omicron variant is is going to be. The, I mean, we were selling off already. Uh, the markets are already declining before the variant even showed up. So the, the whole world knew that the variant was going to show up three days before it actually showed up. I mean, it's pretty, pretty neat. Right. So this is just, you know, the point here is to, to not extrapolate headlines into reasoning and and those type of things. Right. It's just that markets go through these cycles. We were very overbought. We were very extended. We were going to have a correction regardless. And, and if the market had corrected because Apple announced a week ago that they were going to have weak iPhone sales, well, then we'd be attributing all to, you know, Apple and the iPhone sales. Right. I mean, it's just the markets need that reason. As human beings, we have to assign a reason for something to happen. But that's not always the case. And again, we've been talking about the potential weakness here in the markets for the last you know, two weeks in our newsletter. So, um, you know, again, this and we had taken and we had positioned for this by 
raising some cash, adding some hedges, and doing some things in our portfolios to prepare for it. So here it is. So now what? Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to direct your attention to this chart. If you're watching our live stream, I have a chart of the estimate. Don't worry if you're driving to work. Don't pull up your phone and try to watch, right? I'm going to explain it to you. And uh, we'll get you through this. It's all good. But uh, I do have, if you are watching our live stream, I do have a chart up of the S&P 500. And there's some critical things that are going on that are worth paying attention to. First, if we go back to October of last year, and we kind of draw a line across the, you know, the market's been this very nice kind of, you know, 45 degree angle ascent really since October of last year. And, and by the way, if you don't remember that far back, because we're all getting older, take your ginkgo biloba. <laughs> uh, exactly. Back in uh, October, September and October of last year, we had two 5% corrections back to back. And the markets got very oversold, very negative. And then from that kind of low point in October of last year, we've had this kind of this 45-degree angle rally in the markets. And the corrections that we had along the way, and we've talked about this numerous times, is that every time the market corrected, we either corrected back to the 20 or the 50-day moving average. But there's a very defined angle of ascent. And if you take a line and you kind of just draw a straight line across the tops and the straight line kind of across these bottoms where we were touching along the 50-day moving average, it, you'll see this kind of very uh, defined angle of ascent that's been narrowing, right? The range of price movement has been getting more and more confined. So think about you know, compressing a spring, right? You kind of keep pushing the spring, pushing the spring, getting it closer and closer and closer. And then if you let it go, it, it you know, springs back, you know, very quickly, right? It has a lot of, of force to it when that uncoiling occurs. And that's kind of what's happened here is that we broke through the bottom of that accelerating trend line. And as soon as we did that, the market, that kind of triggered all the algorithms, et cetera. And then that's kind of where all the selling really started to occur. And we had this kind of very sharp decline over the last you know, few days in particular, uh, back down here to the 50-day moving average yesterday. So yesterday we were sitting right at the 50, actually just slightly below it, but it won't matter. Um, but we're kind of sitting on the 50-day moving average right now. And so that's probably going to provide some support this morning. Uh, the markets are looking to open up about 250, 260 points. Now, that's not going to be enough to recoup yesterday's losses. Now, that's the important thing, right? We're going to, we'll be up a little bit this morning. The question, we were up yesterday morning too, uh, about 300 points yesterday morning, and then wind up giving it all up because of the Omicron variant discovery in, in California. So, you know, we weren't done with the selling yet is all that means, right? Uh, we just had more selling to go. And as soon as that news kind of showed up, you know, more algorithms kicked in to sell stuff. But the selling was already going on anyway. So we'll see. We'll have a bit of an open uh, this morning. It's a little bit higher, but uh, I suspect that, you know, we could finish the day on the upswing today. Um, that would be decent. And, and we need to kind of hold this 50-day support level. And that's going to be really important here. If the markets failed to hold that support now, just below that, we've got the 100-day moving average, which has been really good support ever since those October lows. That was the low in October. That was the low in November. That was the low back in uh, kind of mid-March when we had the, the tech route back in mid-March. That was where ARC sprung a leak. Um, that was also the support line and in, in the recent sell-off in September, October of this year, right? So, 
you know, we're, we're, we've got some good support here in the markets, and, and we're getting very oversold, very negative sentiment. The number of uh, bears that are um, bearish right now have, have risen sharply. The CNN fear grid gauge is, is very low here. So, you know, we're probably getting set up for that end of the year kind of Santa Claus rebalancing positioning rally. And so one thing we want to talk about today is, you know, looking for some areas of opportunity to start adding some money back into your portfolio, where to be looking for those opportunities. Also, though, we're, I'm going to talk with Michael Leibowitz today. You know, there's a lot of similarities between where we are in the market today in 1999 and Michael just wrote a report yesterday that's on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, talking about using valuations as a measure of this. And not just from a function of saying, oh, market's overvalued, but, you know, are they overvalued relative really to where we were in 1999? And, and what does that portend to the future of returns for investors? All that's coming up in today's show of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen. RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Bulls win in bull markets. Bears win in bear markets. Eagles soar above and take advantage of opportunity. Let us help you soar as you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, you're listening to The Real Investment Show. So a couple of things, uh, you know, that, you know, um, happened over the weekend, of course, is we kind of look at 
where we are in terms of the markets and kind of where we're moving forward. And, and of course, you know, lots of selling here over the last week or so in particular. And obviously, this is we, we've been through this numerous times this year. And it's amazing, really, psychologically, how fast people move from fear back to greed. And we've had several sell-offs this year. If you go back to February, March of this year, we had a big tech route back in March. And people were, uh, you know, and we were down almost 5% at that point, And it was terrible. And the world was ending. And, you know, Kathy Wood's arc was getting destroyed at that point, And, you know, People couldn't figure out what was going on, and you know this was the end of the bull market. And then, of course, we rallied back. And as soon as the market started rallying back, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're it's all good. We're we're back to all time highs, right?" And, you know, and about every month we get this correction back to the fifty day moving average, and we kind of go through the same, you know, panic driven headline rush that we get on the markets. And you know, markets in turmoil. All in the month of October, you know, we had this market sell off and. Oh, sorry, in September, we had this market sell-off. It was almost 5% down from the peak every day on CNBC. Markets in turmoil, markets in turmoil. So it, it's, you know, we go through this, and, and really this emotional gyration is driven a lot by what we see on the media. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle with the media over, you know, what's actually happening in the markets versus what they tell you. And... You know, this is something I was on. Uh, I was on Fox Business on Friday with Charles Payne. We were talking about this very same thing because you know, back in mid-November, we were right before Thanksgiving, writing about hey, mutual fund distributions are coming. This happens every year, and with a very, with a liquidity, you know, structure in the markets, it's very thin. It doesn't take a lot of selling to exacerbate some downside. And you had, you know, you know, back in November we had people record long call options. We were writing about that in the newsletter. Yeah, lots of speculation and and you know, very extended markets and a lot of things. You know, stocks had been making big, big moves. We had seen stocks moving very quickly to the upside. And of course, when there's no liquidity, and we've talked about this before, is that there's a lot of you know, there's a few people willing to buy at current levels. And so sellers and buyers are kind of sort of matched at this point. And, and you know, we're seeing that type of, of movement, right? Very light volume and internal breath, really not very good. The number of stocks above their 50-day moving average, 200-day moving average is not healthy. We've talked about that narrowness of the breath that, you know, and the problem with that comes down to this liquidity issue. And the liquidity issue really shows itself when the markets are selling off. Because that's where you see things, like you saw on Friday with DocuSign, down 40% a day. This is a good company. It was very overvalued, right? Speculators have been chasing in into DocuSign because of this whole, you know, work at home structure, you know, we're all going to have to sign contracts on computers now and because nobody's ever going to work in an office again. So stock had gotten really overvalued. And this lack of liquidity really showed up on Friday when the stock was down 40% in a day. Now, they had some disappointing guidance, but it wasn't worth a 50%, you know, a 40% haircut to the valuation of the company. But that's that problem with liquidity because there's no real buyers up here. The buyers are much lower. And so when there's a lot of people that want to sell, buyers are going, yeah, I'll buy it from you at this price. 
And you may not like it, but that's where you sell it. And this has to go with, and again, I said we talked a little bit about managing risk because this was the email that I got over the weekend. It was like, well, how do I manage risk? How do I hedge risk? Well, hedging risk is not complicated. You just have to be willing to give up something to hedge. And see, this is the problem for most investors. And I get this all the time. People come in and go, oh, I'm, I'm super conservative or I'm super aggressive, you know, whatever it is. And then when the market does the opposite of what they think they are, then they want the opposite, right? So, you know, if they come in and they say, oh, I'm really conservative and the markets are running up 10 or 15%, it's like, well, I, we need to, you know, I, you know, why am I not beating the index, right? Well, because you said you were conservative and reallocation set up that way. Or I'm super aggressive and now you're down 5 or 10%. You're going, you know, why am I losing so much money? Well, because the market's going down and you're super aggressive. So psychology is important. And you got to understand that if you're going to hedge for risk, that means you've got to lower your expectation for return somewhat. And think about it this way. You have two choices. When you're driving your car, you can drive your car with a brake or without a brake. Now, you can drive your car without a brake, right? I might take I can take the brakes out of your car, send you off to work. <laughs> you may get there. But as long as you're on the freeway, you're fine, right? Because everybody's moving the same direction. And as long as nobody screws up somewhere in front of you, you really don't need a brake. Right? You, you just flow right along with traffic. It's all fine. The problem comes is that when you need the brake, right? And you don't have one. And this is the same thing with a portfolio. You know, if you want to get the maximum return out of your portfolio, you want to track a benchmark index. You have to do that without a break. And as a, and as a consequence of that, you are going to have to suffer the ebbs and the flows of the market. If you want to beat the index, you've got to take on more risk than the index. Which means now your accelerator is tied to the floor and you have no brake. <laughs> so you have to take on a lot more risk. Now, again, it may be fine for a while. The problem becomes when something goes wrong. So part of investing is figuring out what it is that you're trying to achieve and figuring out a way to get to your goal without completely crashing yourself along the way. And this is what we forget. You know, my goal is to make 5, 6, 7% a year, whatever that number is. We call it, in, in our shop, we call it a hurdle rate. So when we do your financial plan, and, and Danny and Richard do, and John Penn do a great job of this, but they go through the financial plan with you and they say, okay, look, in order to meet this goal, you want to have X dollars in the, the bank at, at, at retirement, you're going to need this much money. And to get there, based on what you have today, we need to make about 4% a year, 5% a year, whatever that number is. That's your hurdle rate. And if you hit that number every year, you're going to get to your goal. Now, does that mean that once you get to 4 or 5% that you just cash in all your chips for the year and go home? You could do that, right? <laughs> but, you know, the goal is saying, look, we want to make sure that we control risk so that we don't lose 30 or 40% of your money 
and then have to make that up. Plus, and this is what everybody forgets, right? The, the, you know, the whole buy and hold analysis, you know, that people preach on, on television, they forget to tell you this one very important fact. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if, if we're buying and holding, you're going to make money long term. And sure, there's going to be periods of time where you lose money, but markets always come back. Well, here's the one little aspect they, they forget to tell you about buy and hold investing. If I'm supposed to make 5 or 6% a year and I lose 50% of your money, right? Now, eventually, the markets are going to come back. So you're going to make your 50 or 60% of your money back. So let's say, you know, hey, let's go back to 2008, right? 2008, market crashes, you lose 50% of your money. And the markets got back to even in 2017 to where we were back in 2015. Or sorry, 2008. So it took this whole long period of time to get back to even. So that's fine, right? So you get back to even. But they forget to tell you about the five, six, seven, eight years between the previous peak and where you, and, and getting back to even that you still have to make up for because you needed five or six or seven percent a year, whatever your number was, for all those years. So if you had 5% a year compounded, and this is the other you know, big myth of the markets, is that markets compound. They don't. But now you've got to make up that 50% loss plus all the years that you didn't make a 5 6 7% rate of return. And that's why most people don't reach their financial goals. If they, and look, if investing was as easy as everybody says it was, then why is it that you know, hardly anybody... 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank and less than one year salary saved up. Investing is not easy because of these very, these very issues. Seems easy at times, but it's not. So hedging risk and, and understanding that you can hedge risk, but you have to give up something for that hedge. It's not a free thing. But hedging risk is a very simple process. And there's some very simple ways to do that. But before you start going in and saying, oh, I'm going to hedge the risk in my portfolio, you've got to understand what that means. And that means that you are applying a break to your portfolio. It will lower your returns. You cannot have a lower risk portfolio and match the benchmark index. Just doesn't work that way. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you protect the downside risk of your portfolio, in other words, when the markets are down 15 or 20 or 30% and you're down 3, 4, 5%, you getting yourself back to even and begin to accrue value towards your retirement goals happens much quicker than those trying to play catch up from a major market decline. So I, I said we talk about hedging risk. So now that we understand that you know risk hedging risk requires giving up something. We'll talk about how to actually hedge risk and some opportunities when we come back from the break. I'm Real Science Roberts on the Real Investment Show. Don't go away.
Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next Virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our Virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have the market's gyrations made you nervous? If so, it's because you have more risk in your portfolio than you realize. It's time to reevaluate your long-term investing strategy with RIA Advisors. Our disciplined approach can help eliminate unnecessary risk. We do that by having both a buy and sell discipline. Does your advisor do that? If you think it's time to work with an advisor who puts your interests first, it's time for real investment advice. RIA Advisors, 855-RIA-PLAN, riaadvisors.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com I went to see the doctor. Really great guy, but he's an older guy. Kind of like Coach Murphy that you grew up with in high school. And it never cost me more than $25 to go see because his solution is pretty much the same every time. Rub some dirt on it and walk it off. And I said, well, don't you have something you maybe give me for the pain? He hands me a thing of Tic Tacs. He says, take one a day and pretend it doesn't hurt. What's your problem? The Real Investment Show podcast. Same show, your schedule. And it works just fine. At realinvestmentadvice.com Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Show podcasts are now available from Stitcher Smart Radio at Stitcher.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. It's a quick and easy application. Just simply click Ask a Question at realinvestmentadvice.com or give us a call at 855-RIA-PLAN. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows, subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, so I was just listening to that commercial about Coach Murphy, my doctor. So if you don't know the story, I went to I, I tore my knee up running and uh, I went to see my uh, 
doctor who's an orthopedic surgeon and um, went in and saw him and I call him Coach Murphy because his his remedy is always rub some dirt on it and walk it off. And so I've been hobbling around here for, you know, a couple of weeks, but I've been doing exactly what he told me, right? He, he gave me some stretches to do and he gave me this box of Tic Tacs. He said, take this and you'll be fine. I'll be son of a gun. I'm completely fine. The magic of Tic Tacs. Exactly. And but no, I mean, I'm, you know, I did what he said, and, and you know, so I'm back to normal, and I've been I'm back to running. So great, yeah, no, yeah. it's all good. I was just like, problem solved. But no, it's all good though. I, I definitely didn't want to like, have surgery, but you know, he's just this he's this crotchety old guy. You gotta love it. Anyway, uh, so before the break, talking a little bit about hedging. So we, you know, the 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 point I want you to understand, and this is the mistake that people make, is that. You know, hedging risk requires you to give up something. And people think they want to hedge. People always think they want to hedge risk when markets are going down. Then as soon as the market's going up, they go, well, I don't want to hedge, right? The markets are going up. You know, that's not how hedging risk works. And that's not how portfolio management works. But you've got to, you've got to, you've got to pick your poison, right? You either are going to suffer the slings and arrows of market declines when they occur if you're going to be aggressively allocated the more aggressively allocated you are the more that's going to hurt or you can learn to live with a little less and have much better returns long term it just depends on what you want but i said when we come back from the break that we talk a little bit about how to actually hedge risk See, and that's the important question. How do you do it? Right? There's, there's, there's tons of ways to hedge risk. The easiest way, I know this is a complicated one. So, you know, just if you're driving, I suggest you pull over and pull out a notepad because I'm going to, you know, really get into this for you. Sell something. Raise a little cash. If you have less money, so if, if your portfolio is 100% equities and you're tracking the S&P 500, if you want to hedge risk, in other words, you want to lower how much you're going to lose when the markets go down, sell something. I know it's complicated, right? Another way to do that. Okay, well, let's back up real quick, too. Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to, let me say something about selling something because people always take this wrong. We regularly write, and so if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I really suggest you're missing something uh, in your in your weekly analysis because we go through every weekend kind of what's going on in the markets. We talk about risk management. We also tell you exactly what we're doing in our portfolios. And we write often about, hey, we're taking profits in this. We're reducing sizing in this. We're adding money to this, you know, those type of things. And when people say or when people read that we are taking profits, they assume we're selling everything in our portfolio and going to cash. That is not what we're saying. And I'm not suggesting that's what you should do. But, you know, if you have a stock that's a, let's say that, you know, one of the one of the basic rules of portfolio risk management is sizing your positions. And any great trader will tell you about the importance of sizing your positions. It's essentially the same thing as when you're betting on a hand of poker, how much do you bet? It depends on the strength of your hand. 
So size your positions. If you're taking a lot of risk with a position of fundamentally poor, uh, poor stock, as an example, have a smaller position in your portfolio. So if your normal position size in your portfolio is, let's say you structure your portfolio that you're going to have 60% of your portfolio in, in stocks, so you're going to have 12 positions to manage, so you have 5% in each position, right? Something like that. So you got 12 stocks you've got to manage. You've got 60% exposure, 100% exposure, whatever it is. You have a maximum position size for each position in your portfolio. So let's say your normal position size is five, but you're going to take a, a flyer on a really risky stock. So your maximum position size is two in that one. But see, we get greedy. And we go, yeah, but this stock's really going up. So I'm going to put a whole lot more money into it. And it's great until you wind up with a DocuSign that loses 40% in a single day. And that's not uncommon. In this market, particularly, that is not uncommon. So size your risk. That's a way to hedge risk. So if that 2% flyer in DocuSigns becomes 3 or 4% of your portfolio because it's gone up so much, reduce it back to 2%. Take your profits. Old saying is nobody ever went broke taking profits. But that way, when the stock makes a 40% plunge, you're playing with house money, not your money. So sell something. Reduce the amount of risk. When the, when, when the S&P gets very extended above its long-term means and we start talking about, you know, on, on the show about, hey, markets are very overbought here, be a little bit cautious, raise a little bit of cash. Raise a little bit of cash is code word for sell something. It's not complicated. All right, another way to hedge. Buy something that goes up when the market goes down. What could that be? How about bonds? Got a chart of a 10-year treasury. If you're driving, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll explain it. Bonds have been going up while the market's been going down. Not surprising. This is simply a function of risk-on, risk-off psychology for the markets. When markets are under selling pressure, money's got to go somewhere because as a portfolio manager, I've got to be allocated because if I'm not, if I don't have your money allocated, and this goes for mutual funds, hedge funds, private equity funds, etc. I can't charge you a fee for sitting on cash. So as a portfolio manager, when markets are going down, I've got to put that money somewhere. So if I'm, you know, raising profits, uh, you know, taking profits out of some area of my portfolio, money tends to go somewhere else. So it's a risk-off, risk-on mindset. And, and with bonds here lately, bonds have had a great run as the market's been selling off. So now we're talking about potentially a short-term rally in the markets. And that's because, look, take a look at bonds right now. They're, they're more than two standard deviations above their 50-day moving average. That is very outside the norm. And historically, when that occurs, you're going to get a pullback in bond prices. In other words, yields go up a bit. As bond prices pull back because money's coming from risk off, being safety back into risk on, being stocks, and so you get a short-term rally. Don't be surprised if we don't see that in the next couple of weeks. That setup in bonds right now suggests that bonds are very overbought. So if you've been long bonds, then you may want to take a little bit of money off the table. And that's okay. Bonds work just like stocks. They go up and down in price. So take a little money off bonds, put in cash for the moment. If you're not sure what to do with your cash, it's okay to hold cash. That's item three to hedge your portfolio. Cash is a risk-free hedge.
It doesn't go up or down in value. I can hold money in cash and I can figure out what to do next. I can wait for an opportunity to do something, whether it's to buy bonds or Bitcoin or whatever it is I want to buy. I can wait for the right opportunity. And this is important, right? Because that is the whole value of investing. See, that we've, we've also come, you know, the media has driven us to think that we have to be invested all the time or we're missing out. Let me ask you a question. If houses were the only investment vehicle on the planet, would you go buy a house every day because you've got cash? No, of course not. But that's what we think about with stocks. Let's go back to poker. We use poker as a, a, a good analogy to the stock market. It's the same thing. It's the purest form of speculation. When you're betting on a poker hand, do you bet all in every hand? No, of course not. So whoever said you had to be invested in the markets at all times, always? You don't. There's nothing wrong with sitting on some cash, waiting for the right opportunity to come along to buy something that is A, a good value, and B, a real opportunity. That's the whole premise of investing to start with. Okay. Now, we can get more complicated with hedging. There's options. You can buy put options to hedge downside risk in your portfolio. You can write call options to... to lock in gains in a particular stock, raise a little bit of premium. There's a lot of things. I, I'm not going to get into a big, long options conversation this morning because it's very. It, it does get very kind of convoluted because there's so many variations of strategies you can use with options. But if you understand options and understand how to use them, you know, using put options is a way to hedge your portfolio. You can buy out-of-the-money puts on the S&P to hedge your equity longs in your portfolio, we, we have a portfolio structure we call a platinum model that we use for high net worth investors. Exactly what we do. We buy long-dated, long out-of-the-money put options to hedge our portfolio risk against a decline just like this. So those things can help. But the important thing here is hedging risk is not complicated. And, and it sounds it's like hedging risk. It sounds like it's, it's, it's complicated. It's not. It really comes down to two words. Sell something. That's hedging risk. Raising some cash, taking some profits, repositioning your portfolio, rebalancing your portfolio. Look, if you've got a lot of stuff that's had huge gains, move them back to your original weights. If you've got stuff that's very that has not been performing, maybe you want to think about getting rid of those things. Losing money in positions is risk also because it's dragging down the performance of your whole portfolio. So, if you need help, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us an email. Happy to help you out with your portfolio and, and helping you figure out how to hedge risk if you need it. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back to wrap up the show.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement's not what it used to be and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. Do you know what you don't know when hiring and retaining quality employees compensation is more than just wages it's personal time off the vacation days healthcare benefits a 401k do you know what's important to them hi i'm tom allen ria advisors retirement plan consultant let us show you how to make the most of an affordable effective package that will deliver true value for your business and your employees call me toll free at 855 ria plan or online at realinvestmentadvice.com Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Manage risk and volatility rather than trying to manage gains. You don't have to be right all the time. Long-term investing success is a 70% gain. Let us help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Uh, Michael Leewood's joining me this morning to talk a little bit about markets, money, investments, and the sell-off. And again, you know, I don't think we're done with the sell-off just yet. What will be critically important over the next two days is to making sure that we hold support here between the 50 and the 100-day moving average. They're basically sitting on top of each other. So there's a lot of support for the markets at these levels, but it uh, doesn't mean the selling is over yet. Now, if we break that 100-day moving average, it's an entirely different story. And we'll be talking about something much deeper at that point if that occurs. So I don't expect that to happen. Markets are getting fairly oversold, fairly fearful. We'll probably get a, a bit of a rally here. So you know, we'll want to use that opportunistically um, as we go into the end of the year. But one thing I wanted to touch on, though, is that you know early this year, and I, actually I should go into last year, ARC was the rage. ARC is the, and if you don't know who ARC is, uh, that's Kathy Wood. 
and she was being held as one of the most innovative uh, portfolio managers you know ever in history. And in fact, her her ARK fund, A R K K, is the ETF was just accumulating assets at a record pace and and it actually achieved the record for for accumulating assets at the fastest pace on record. It was just everybody was piling into ARC. And of course then March of 2021 uh, came along, not 2020, but March of 2021 this year where there was a decent tech route. And we saw companies that she was mostly investing in, companies like Tesla and Square and and blockchain companies, et cetera, all getting, you know, fairly beaten up around the head and shoulders. And her, her fund began to underperform rather markedly. Well, the problem now is, is that her fund is negative in terms of returns for this year. She's now experiencing a lot of money outflows. People are giving up kind of on the, the, the I don't know how you, the, the praise of, of Kathy Wood. She was being hailed as almost a demigod in the investing world. <laughs> And now all of a sudden she's kind of being, you know, thrown out, but kind of baby with the bathwater. But I, I wanted to kind of just touch on this very quickly because I do want to get to your uh, article about, you know, future returns and valuations. But I think this has a lot to do with that, you know, is that in every in speculative kind of investment bubble, we see these type of things where people just, you know, pile in to, to something in particular and then it ceases to work. And we're seeing a lot of that kind of same psychology here. And, and I think kind of ARC is a good representation of that because, you know, that was the one thing everybody had to be in. And now it's it's a thing of the past, so to speak. And it'll be interesting to see how she turn if and when she can potentially, you know, turn her performance around, you know, considering where we are valuation wise and a lot of the companies that she owns. Right, right. She was in those tech companies that were soaring at the beginning of the year. She was momentum. So if you wanted to play momentum technology, you could just buy her fund, her ETF. It was a great way to do it. And it was it went even beyond buying her fund. Everyone's looking at what she owned, how much she was buying, what she was selling. And it was almost like what we see on Reddit and Wall Street Bets and all that stuff. Whatever, whatever Kathy did, everyone else did. So it just made her bets look better and better. And she mm -hmm. had a great beginning to the year. But as we've talked about over and over again, this market is just shifting from one idea to another very quickly. And Kathy's idea is technology. It's new blossoming technology. And she really didn't sway from that, as she shouldn't, because that's what her fund is supposed to do. But when other things came into vogue, when financials and energy, old school Dow Jones type industries came into vogue, she was out of vogue. And right. what happens is, let's say Kathy's fund is a billion dollars. And I have a hundred million invested in her fund and I sell it. Her fund is now 900 million. Kathy has to sell a hundred million of stocks. She can say, okay, I'm just going to sell Tesla or she can sell 10% of everything. Right. And it's somewhere in between what she does. And that's what's, that's part of the problem. And that's what's dragging down both some bad stocks and some very good stocks, and stocks think, that we've been looking at. Yeah, no, and that's a great point is that, you know, there's been a lot of headlines lately about her selling her Tesla shares. And, she, of course, she's a, a major advocate of Tesla. But it's not because she wants to sell Tesla. It's not because she's choosing to sell Tesla because of fundamentals or whatever. Uh, she's having to sell Tesla because it's one of the largest holdings in her fund. And so when somebody makes a $100 million redemption and there's been, you know, a lot of $100 million redemptions in her funds over the last several months. She's having to sell stocks to meet those redemptions, and that's putting pressure 
on her fund and and particularly on those underlying shares of the smaller companies that she's liquidating, companies like Square and others, uh, have been under a lot of pressure really since August of this year. Right. And if you want a place to go look for some good ideas, go look at her holdings, because there are some really good stocks and good ideas in there that have gotten clobbered. And it's getting clobbered in part because of what's going on with Kathy Wood and the ARC fund mm-hmm. and and her followers. So that's a good place to go fishing if you're looking for some names that have potential that are down 30, 40, 50 percent from prior highs. But and I, let, let, I want to switch gears here because you just said something that's important, and this relates to the, the market entirely. You know, when you're going to fish for, you know, opportunity, it's important to make sure that you're also buying fundamentals um, as well. So you got to, you know, look for companies that have been beaten up in price but have, you know, a strong fundamental case. Maybe they don't have a strong fundamental balance sheet at the moment because they're, you know, a rising, you know, kind of technology company, et cetera. But you need to be looking for increasing sales, increasing earnings, you know, those type of things that are going to be driving that stock in the future. Um, you know, it's important to consider that. But, you know, when you look at the market as a whole, and you just wrote a report on this uh, yesterday, it's on our website now, realinvestmentadvice.com, you know, asking the question, when you look at valuations today, it's very much like we were back in 1999. And, you know, this has some consequences, but you kind of approach this from a different angle saying, you know, you know, because even though valuations are the same as they were basically in 1999, are they really the same? Could you explain that a little bit better? Yeah, and what I want to preface this this discussion with is this is why we talk about the Fed so much. So now we're going to go back to stocks, but by the time we're done, I think you're going to understand why why we have to think about the Fed, watch the Fed, listen to the Fed. So, you know, if you go back and look at 1999 to today, valuations in almost all cases today are higher than they were back then. So basically what you're saying is investors are paying more than they were in 1999. Forget prices, just valuations, ratios like price to earnings, price to sales. There's a handful of them, right? But that doesn't, that's not, that's not a fair statement on its own to say that we're more expensive than 99. What if I tell you that earnings are going to grow 20% for the next 20 years and the economy is going to boom and we're going to be in a utopian economy? Well, then stocks are probably very cheap right now. I don't care if they're at the same valuations as 99. The cash flows underneath all these companies is going to grow rapidly, right? So, so that's something to consider. However, when you go back and compare the economy, earnings growth, productivity growth, demographics, it's all worse. So all the tailwinds to growth are worse. Growth are worse today than they were back then. Now you add on a ton of debt. There wasn't that much debt in '99. In fact, the government ran a surplus, I believe, in '99 or 2000. You know, now we're running a trillion-dollar deficit would be awesome if we could get it down to a trillion (laughs) dollars. It's only 2.8, so, I mean, who cares? I don't think we're ever going to see that again, right? So the amount of debt, not the amount, but the amount of debt as a percentage of the economy is much higher than it was. So that's a burden on the economy, right? So you're paying not only – let's just say we're paying the same in valuations as 99. We're actually paying more because the economic outlook is weaker. And – economic outlook translates to earnings. That's what you're buying. When you're buying Apple, you're buying a stream of future earnings. Tesla, name the company, that's ultimately what you're buying. So the question is, well, why would anyone pay valuations today that are on par with 1999, which turns out was grossly above where they should have been? The answer is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is supplying massive amounts of liquidity to this market. So 
do valuations make sense? I, you know, I think you can make an argument. They make sense if you think the Federal Reserve can continue to do what they've been doing for the last 10 years. And that's why the Federal Reserve is so important. And Chairman Powell all of a sudden became a little bit more hawkish on inflation, telling us that he may speed up tapering, that they may bring interest rates forward a little bit, maybe to March instead of June, maybe do three or four instead of two or three rate hikes next year, right? So all those do is take liquidity out of them. There's less, they're still pumping in liquidity, but they're pumping in less liquidity as they do less QE. And given that valuations don't make any sense, even if we were in 1999's economic scenario and they make less sense today, they make sense in, in the eyes of when you encompass everything, including the Fed. So that's why we follow the Fed closely, because it's liquidity that is keeping valuations where they are. And so... And and let me ask you a question, you know, because we, we are talking about valuations where they are, which are elevated, obviously, but that has, you know, large implications about future returns, right? Right, right. So there's a very strong statistical correlation between where, where valuations are and what the returns for the future will be. The problem is those statistical correlations become very relevant, significant, the further out in time you move. So there's very low, if any, significant correlation between the returns for the next three months versus the valuation today. You know, like we always say, valuations are awful meaningful, but you can't use them to trade. Mm -hmm. They're really difficult to trade on, right? But you go out 20 years and the what's called the R squared, which measures how well valuations measure up against future returns is almost 80%. Right. It's 0 .8, 0 0.79, I believe. <laughs> so so what that allows you to do is say, okay, returns over the next 20 years are going to be poor. But we can also use, use math, get a little creative and say, well, we know returns over the last 18 years were X. And we know what returns for the 20 years ending in 23 should have been. We can back into what returns for the next two years could be. There you go. And I appreciate that very much, Mike. And of course, that article on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. That wraps up the show for the day. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow with Financial Fitness Friday. Be sure you buy the website again and get ready for upcoming events, as well as go to those blogs and newsletters. And also check out our new simplevisor.com. That's coming out here over the next couple of weeks as well to help you manage your money better. All at the website, believe it or not, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.